a while back, Brian Balfour, pretty famous guy, he made the argument for it's no longer just about product market fit anymore. You don't just need product market fit. You also need product model, uh, channel, and market fit. It's not just about product and market anymore. But here's the interesting thing. When things change in the market, that likely means that other things change in the rest of the framework. So when things change in the market, there's probably changes for product, probably changes for model, and probably also changes in channel. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStop, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth, and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today, and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. My name is Asia Arangio. I'm the CEO and founder of Demand Maven. And at Demand Maven, we are a growth consultancy. We work with early stage companies, SaaS founders, startups, troubleshooting growth and finding growth opportunities. And the story that I want to tell you all today, we're just gonna kick off with a real SaaS company, real story. Uh, I started working with this company at the beginning of 2020. And this company is a vacation rental software platform. They, you can basically think of this as like, if you're a new property manager, or uh, if you are growing your property management company or your vacation rental company, you need a platform to help you manage channels, uh, sync pricing, um, uh, put all of your listings on places like Airbnb, booking.com, et cetera. And this platform that you would ultimately use to put all that together is called Uplisting. And I want you to think about the market for a second for something like, let's say, vacation rentals. Because if you're a vacation rental owner and you ultimately want more uh, people booking your properties, going to Airbnb, uh, booking.com, VRBO, you want those people going to those channels, finding your property, booking it and saying, yes, this was awesome, and you know everyone's happy. Well, here's the thing. I started working with Uplisting. Uh, so my company is Demand Maven. We worked with them on helping them grow. But I started working with them at the beginning of 2020. At the beginning of 2020, right around February, uh, let's say of 2020, there was a thing that happened that we all experienced. It was um, a panorama or a pandemonium or a phenomenon, whatever P word you want to use. And when that panorama happened, uh, there was another thing that also occurred. As travel slowed down in the market, so did occupancy rates. Occupancy rates in these vacation rental companies. And when occupancy rates went down, vacation rental companies started suffering. They start looking at, oh shoot, how do I survive and what do I do? And so when that happened, uplisting kind of had like a, oh shit moment. <laughs> because if vacation rental companies, uh, my clients' customers, are freaking out, they're probably going to churn. And the entire, uh, all of our hopes and dreams could very well potentially come to an end. Now, I'm, I'm gonna spoil things because you know, uplisting is fine. They're actually doing great. And I'm gonna tell you exactly some of the things that they did to avoid uh, this, you know, oh shit scenario. But also some things that you can take away to apply to your own business. I wanna take a step back because when something awful happens in the market, um, it could be a crisis, economic downturn, recession, whatever the word is, 
there is absolutely 100% a way to approach it that not only ensures your survival, but also enables you to uh, blitz past the competition and all of your rivals. But I have to start here. How many of you have seen this chart before? Okay, so I see some hands. Okay. Um, a while back, Brian Balfour, pretty famous guy, he made the argument for it's no longer just about product market fit anymore. You, you don't just need product market fit. You also need product model, uh, channel, and market fit. It's not just about product and market anymore. But here's the interesting thing. When things change in the market, that likely means that other things change in the rest of the framework. So when things change in the market, there's probably changes for product, probably changes for market, and uh, excuse me, uh, model, and probably also changes in channel. So how can we ultimately prepare ourselves in the event of a panorama, if it hopefully, knock on wood, ever happens again? Uh, or uh, yeah. Bleh. And then there's also, from a recession or downturn perspective, what are some of the things that you can do? This prompted a mode of research. So when I first started working with the company Uplisting, uh, the next six months was really us studying what to do, uh, taking action, and then seeing results from those actions. The very first step I'm going to take you through is pretty simple. It's get default alive. There's tons of things that we're probably paying for that we don't necessarily need to be paying for. So getting default alive is all about cutting what's unnecessary, but then also focusing on securing the future. There was an, a pretty incredible thread on Twitter by our boy Patrick, Paticus. I think he's speaking like three times a day if you haven't seen him already. Um, but Patrick wrote this incredible thread on Twitter, and he broke down, here's exactly what to do based off of real data. Data that he has access to, things that he's analyzed and his team. And he published this completely for free on Twitter. It's an incredible read. I highly recommend it. But one of the very first things that he says is the very first step, truly, is just getting default alive. We want to just check for unnecessary spending. There's tons of things that we're already that we're paying for that we might not necessarily need to be paying for. Um, but there also might be places where budgets have gone a little bit awry, if I, if I can say. Next, uh, he recommends plan for 18 to 24 months if you are VC funded. Otherwise, if you're bootstrapped, you want to plan for as much runway as you possibly can. Uh, I recognize that in the bootstrap crowd, that might, that might be kind of challenging. But I would say do your best in this default alive stage. Uh, I think the ultimate goal is, of course, to weather the storm at the end of the day. Finally, probably one of my favorite steps, we are going to scrutinize every single pro project. There are projects that are currently happening in your organization. Even if you're a team of one, there's projects and things that you are spending your time on. What are the things that you are spending time on that do not directly correlate to growth? Anything that does not directly correlate to growth, you're going to pause. You're going to hit pause on all of those projects. And anything that does directly align to growth, you're going to realign your resources to those things. This might be kind of tough because it's like, okay, well, like, what does that actually mean? There are some projects where if you were to think about pausing them, would you lose any potential revenue, any future value? And then at the same exact time, there are projects that if you were to prioritize could actually give you the next six to 12 months of runway. We're looking at projects that ultimately encourage growth, uh, but we'll actually get to that in just a second. All right, so the next step. We are going to check for gaps. After getting default alive, the next part of the process is to identify gaps in a few areas. Uh, we're going to look for gaps in market. We're going to look for gaps in channel. But we're also going to look for gaps in our product experience and the model. 
So going back to this chart, we can actually uh, use this, this framework as a very simple go-to-market framework. Uh, so for example, if we were to think of our products, of our companies, in this very simple framework of market model, product, and channel fit, um, there's a couple of questions that we might want to ask ourselves, especially if there's something happening in the market that's causing us any kind of stress or fear or worry. So first, let's ask ourselves, um, has the market changed? If so, in what particular way has the market changed? You've been hearing tons of things about recessions and downturns and like all the things. Uh, but how has that actually impacted your specific market? How has that actually impacted the customer at the end of the day? Next, you might want to ask yourself, based off of how our current customers are getting impacted, do we actually need to shift focus? Do we need to change how we're thinking about go-to-market? Next, probably one of my favorite quadrants, um, does our positioning need adjusting? Do we need to adjust how we're thinking about going to market? If there's something going on in the market and Im impacting how, uh, how customers actually buy our product, what needs to happen to the product? And next, um, does our uh, feature roadmap, our product roadmap, does that actually align with market expectations and needs? Once we move into model, uh, I am not a pricing guru. You could ask Patrick all the questions about pricing. But when it comes to model, um, do you need to adjust pricing model plans? Do you need to increase rates, decrease discounts that you're, if, that you're giving? What are some of the adjustments that need to get made based off of what the market's currently experiencing? And then finally, channel. Do we need new channels for acquisition? Um, do we need new channels for awareness based off of our changes in the market? And how do we reach new segments if that is going to be our strategy? But here's, the, here's like the really interesting thing about looking for gaps. When you change the market, it's, it's going to change a little bit of everything else and all the other parts. But I would argue that any change in market is actually the driver for changes in some of the other quadrants. I want to go back to uplisting because this is, I want to give you an example, a real life example of something happening in the market that actually changed how we went to market from a, uh, from a you know, product and marketing perspective. So one of the things that we learned uh, as, as the panorama started uh, and created all kinds of, of shenanigans for us, and yes, we were looking at pretty scary churn. Um, but one of the things that I worked with the uplisting team on was, okay, if something has changed in the market, probably means we got to adjust our strategy overall. So what we learned was we talked to some of our absolute best paying customers. We talked to customers that were higher LTV, raving fans, and just asking them, hey, what's going on in your world? And how does that change how you view the product? And what we learned was the way that they saw the product completely changed, especially after going through uh, the, the initial crisis and then also the slow, the very slow return back to regular travel. Before, the product primarily focused on a couple of features and attributes. Um, we focused on um, ease of use and simplicity. We also uh, talked a lot about how you can connect your favorite apps, and there's so many integrations, and it's great. Uh, we also made a huge case for, oh my gosh, it's so easy to switch to, to this product, and that's why you should choose us. Um, and then, of course, so many features. If you saw April Dunford's talk this morning, um, it was the wind tunnel of features. We, like, this, you know, uplisting did the same thing before. But after going through this customer research process, we discovered that actually customers viewed us completely differently because their context had completely fundamentally changed. They instead, rather that we focus on quality, 
they also uh, said, hey, the reason why we love you guys, especially now, is because you're reliable. We can depend on you. Um, it's very easy to configure, yes, but it's also fast to configure. We don't have to spend a ton of time stressing about this. And more than anything, it allowed them to ultimately scale on top of uh, the product. There were features designed for productivity that basically meant they had more time to spend elsewhere. None of these things we could have possibly have known if we had never talked to customers, one. But two, this is a, this is a pretty, it might not feel like a big shift, but at least at the time, go-to-market-wise, it was. After we made these changes, we realized, I mean, yes, it sounds really obvious, but markets are ultimately going to market. They're going to constantly change. You came here to learn about the, the top keys for like, what to do in a recession, but the secret is markets actually always change. And a recession is really just one aspect of the market changing. But if you were to think about this as an ongoing process, then suddenly your growth approach, it evolves, becomes a little bit different. I want to give you another example. So uh, Dharmesh Shah, CTO, if, if I'm not mistaken, of HubSpot, um, really awesome guy. He actually has a YouTube channel. And one of the videos that he posted on his YouTube channel was how the market downturn actually helps uh, bootstrap startups. And I thought this was really interesting because it's not something that you typically think of. But he had a couple of really interesting points. The first was, we want to check for gaps in the market. We already talked about that. Um, but we want to check for gaps where competitors actually take a step back. What that means is, where are customers creating opportunity because they no longer want to focus on certain types of customers and therefore is a perfect opportunity for your product to step in? Next, we want to look for channels that ultimately get cheaper. I can't necessarily promise this is always going to be the case for all uh, channels, uh, especially when it comes to the big three, LinkedIn, Google, and Facebook. However, um, there are some opportunity here. There's some opportunity here. And you might be surprised at certain channels getting cheaper because competitors are taking a step back. Because again, um, they likely are, uh, they no longer want to focus on certain types of customers that might actually be perfect for your product. And then finally, um, unfortunately, layoffs do happen. However, what this actually does for bootstrap companies, which is different, is you actually get access to that talent when this occurs. So as you start to see competitors and rivals do their thing, you can actually use that as intelligence to help you inform your own go-to-market strategy, but also make decisions for growth. All right, uh, just to um, further demonstrate the point, here's actually a tweet. This was, this was like from a couple of days ago, and I managed to get this in, in the slides. Um, but this is a real example. This is a real founder. Uh, he is the, oh gosh, he just rebranded, but the CEO and founder of Signwell, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, a perfect example of competitors taking a step back in the market and Signwell taking a step forward because they have created the space to do that. Um, you're going to see this in your own markets. And I firmly believe that it creates another opportunity for you to further recession proof. All right, got six minutes. <laughs> Refocus on growth. Um, it's time to get busy. All right, so we got default alive. Then we're going to check for gaps. Where are the gaps in the market, in the product, in the model, channels? Now it's time to get busy again because we're not just going to stop focusing on growth. We're not just going to like, you know, hole up and pretend the whole thing is going to go away. So the next thing we're going to do is we are actually going to prioritize what are the projects that ultimately do help us generate growth, as we mentioned before. There's a great quote from McKinsey and Company. So they talked about the most successful leaders in, uh, during tough times, no matter what kind of time, the toughest uh, or the best leaders 
they refocus on growth rather than violently cut spending. This is with a caveat, because some of you will have to cut spending, of course, to survive in some scenarios. However, there also should be a pretty uh, aggressive front to also do growth and to focus on growth, growth efforts, ideally without spending more is, um, is the case. If you saw Claire and Gia of Forget the Funnel earlier today, they talked a lot about how to experience growth without necessarily doing more marketing um, earlier today. Hopefully the recording comes out of that later because it was excellent. But here's some, here's some stats. So a 3x lift in growth over others who did not focus on growth. This is a stat from Bain and Company. Uh, this is what we typically see in the event of a recession or economic downturn. And Bain & Company also gives us a pretty good story. So they actually uh, tell us um, a recession is kind of like a sharp curve, and the companies that ultimately win in recessions are the ones who figure out how to navigate that curve. Uh, but the best, uh, they kind of, um, they explain it like it's like a racetrack. And the absolute best drivers do a couple of things. First, they apply the brakes before the curve. You can think of this kind of like as cutting costs. Then they turn hard towards the apex, so they go straight towards the center of the curve. Uh, you can think of this kind of like as adjusting the strategy or the plan. And then finally, they accelerate super hard out of the curve. It's how some of the best drivers navigate these apexes. And I love this metaphor. I love this story or this analogy, if you will, because I think it illustrates extremely well how some of the best startups, SaaS companies, um, can actually not just survive a recession or a downturn, but actually thrive on the other end. And then, of course, you get to go ham like, you know, before the market's rebound, which I think is really cool. Uh, don't have time to go through these, but this is another potential um, uh, way to approach this. But there are also, there's tons of research that supports not just cutting, but also focusing on growth in this phase, in this period. 37% um, more likely to outperform those who balance the cost cutting um, and growth investments. But also net over net, any rivals or competitors that focus exclusively on cost cutting if you uh, balance this and growth, you are 16% more likely to perform uh, and experience faster growth than those who do. So what does focusing on growth look like? First, we are going to start with customers with high LTV. Uh, these are ideally the largest portion of your customer base, probably not the top 1%. It's probably as, uh, as high of LTV as you possibly can that incorporates you know, the, the base. But you also have to start with, yes, customers, but now what are the opportunities that help us create higher LTV? Well, there's a couple of things. Um, there's customer experience. There's the user experience. Uh, yes, there's features. However, this is a dangerous zone because not all features necessarily equate to higher LTV. Um, you will absolutely have to do customer research uh, to really, really understand this part of the process. Um, but generally speaking, we are making long-term bets here. Uh, and yes, we are going to scrutinize every project, not just projects in sales and marketing, but also projects in engineering and product. Um, are we ultimately creating and building more features that, that translate to direct value that then generates actual real revenue on the other end? Um, cross-sells and upsells. So cross-sells and upsells into new plans or add-ons. This is really like how SaaS companies actually grow, uh, at least when they, when they experience... Um, uh, very fast growth, so faster traction. And then finally, we are going to, if we can, if it's possible, we're going to retreat from segments that have been hit the absolute hardest 
and we're going to refocus on segments that have the greatest potential. Uh, in the case of uplisting, um, this was absolutely a part of the strategy that we focused on. Um, there were several different segments in the vacation rental software space or the vacation rental space that we focused on. Um, but once we realized that there were some segments that were hit pretty hard, we actually offered them uh, plans, uh, very special plans designed to basically save, save the churn and, and prevent the churn. And at the same exact time, growth, marketing, and go-to-market, we all focused on the other segments that were relatively uh, not as, um, like, they just weren't like, as at risk, I guess. Some of the results that we saw, so I've, I've used uplisting as the case here, but we saw a 20% increase in activation rate. We also saw a 3x lift in new signups. And finally, I'm actually very happy to say, as of two months ago, we've 10x'd the company through the middle of a recession. Thank you. It's like kind of a big deal. I don't know, whatever. Um, but yeah, we actually 10x'd. Uh, we saw the first 4x in the first, uh, let's see, I would say year and a half, and then, and then the rest all came in the last year, which was pretty cool. And we did this in the middle of a panorama. If we did it, I believe y'all can too. Um, all right, so how to recession-proof your SaaS. Uh, first, get default alive. Second, we're gonna check for gaps. And then finally, we're gonna refocus on growth. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SASDoc conferences around the world. Want exclusive SaaS content and actionable insights to grow your SaaS? Join our community of over 36,000 SaaS founders at sasdoc.com.